So it's the start of September and we're all ready and raring to go. Next week is our Vision Sunday, but today we're just rounding off a short three-week series that we've been talking about, which is Thoughts of the Faithful. And uh, the reason we called this was Thoughts of the Faithful was that here's three ideas, three things that we'd like to be known for as a church. When people look at us in our area, when they look at us in the borough of Sutton and they think of our church... Um, what are the kind of people that we are? And so three thoughts to guide us as God's faithful people. But really, this has been an extension of uh, what we've been talking about for the past 12 weeks, the kind of people we want to be, the kind of people we see the church being in our area, being a light in a dark place. And so we've done faith foundations, thoughts of the faithful. And if you downloaded our app, you can go back and listen to all of those to help you sleep in the evening. No, I'm sure it won't help you sleep. Um, and so when we look at our lives, really the question is, what kind of person am I becoming? What's the kind of work that Christ is doing in my heart? So that you and I are being shaped into uh, the, the image of God, the image of Christ. And so there's a transformation going on. When we come to Jesus and we give our hearts and lives over to him, he does a great work in our heart. And so what happens is there's, there's thoughts and ideas that begin to shape our lives that reflect who Jesus is. And one of the things I want to talk about today is the now and the not yet. And if you've been around in our church for any number of years, you may have heard this phrase before. It's one we're quite well known for in Vineyard, the now and the not yet. Uh, and when we think of that phrase, we're talking about the kingdom of God, but actually it's the now and it's the already and not yet. But what I want to do is talk this morning more about the not yet part like we're pretty good as Christians at dealing with the anticipation of what God is doing in our lives. We're not so good with the in-between moments. We're not so good with what do we do when God feels a little more silent, a little more distant. And as people journey with us through life, they're going to watch us. They're going to look at us. You know, if your friends and your family and the people you work with know that you have a faith, whether you like it or not, your life's on display to a certain extent. How many people have already felt that a little bit? Yeah, right? So, and, we, and we're conscious of it. You know, people know I'm a Christian, and so they watch how I respond, they watch how I behave. And it's easy in the great moments, but it's not so easy in the gaps. And so what we find is we're often caught between this place of hope and uncertainty, right? When it comes to journeying with the Lord, when it comes to praying things through, we wrestle between hope and uncertainty. And the question I sort of throw out all the time is, why do some people, for instance, get healed when we pray for them and others don't? Are you ready to find out the answer today? You're going to be severely disappointed. <laughs> um, why, why, do, why does God move in some ways and he doesn't move in others? And, and why doesn't God behave like I want him to behave? You know, it's incredibly frustrating. Sometimes we pray and we lean into what God is doing and things don't always work the way that we imagine they would. And the first time I ever went abroad, I was 18. Um, we, we didn't have a, a, a kind of well-resourced upbringing. And so the first time I ever went on an aeroplane uh, was to a missions trip in Romania, an overseas short-term work with another church in the area. And it was a miracle how God provided for that alone. Uh, but when we arrived there, uh, there was a team going out praying for people in the villages. And, and we're talking like really rural rough villages people had like mud floors uh, and tin shacks next to these big beautiful houses it was 
this strange experience. Uh, and so we would go into Romania. Uh, I was doing a bit of teaching in, in some of the schools. And a team had gone out to pray for people. And they came back that night and they were sharing stories of what God had been doing. And they'd seen this one guy who had like uh, dislocated joints and bones. And they were praying for him. And they were telling me that his arms and hands and, and bones seemed to click back into place as they prayed. Now, you'd like to think that I'd go, wow, isn't that amazing? But there's a big part of me that went, really? Like, did, did that happen? Have you, have you got carried away with yourselves a little bit? And I've been described as a, a faithful cynic at times. And it's not that I don't have faith, by the way. Let's just, let's just hold that intention. Um, but but I'm, I'm hungry for the real deal, right? I'm hungry for uh, the, the way that God works and to not convince myself of something other. So they told us these amazing stories and we went out. And I actually went out with a little bit, not a lack of faith, but I went out with uncertainty. And so I'm with these guys and we go praying on the street. And actually what, what happens is we start to see God do some amazing things. We went to this one house where there was this guy who um, they, he plowed the field sort of that his house was attached to. And in, in his Romanian context, it was the situation where if you didn't work the field, you didn't eat. Like there's no welfare system. There was no support care. There was no one looking out for him. It's like if we don't do the work, we don't survive. So it was quite important, but what happened is his knee had become so inflamed that he couldn't work anymore. Every time he got up, he was just in so much pain. Uh, there was a reputation in the village where if you go to the hospital, you don't come back. And so he was nervous about getting any care for it. And we began to pray for this guy's knee. And so these guys gave around with faith. They've seen some miracles the day before. And, and they're saying, you know, in the name of Jesus, bring healing to this man's knee. And nothing happens. And it goes on for about 10 minutes, 15 minutes. And I'll be honest, my uncertainty started to rise, right? I'm thinking we're praying, but God's not doing anything. We're praying, but God is not moving. And so I, I, I kind of checked out a little bit. I'm not going to lie. I'm not proud of this. I checked out. And uh, then the, a woman in our group just rose and said, no, we've got to keep praying. And so we prayed for another 20 minutes for this guy's knee. And it sort of stirred our faith. We all began to lay hands on him. We all began to pray and wait to see what God would do. And then he started to move his leg. And you could see it sort of physically jar. And then he started to move it again. And it started to ease and it started to ease. And we just we saw physically the swelling go down on his knee. He stood up and he was able to walk. He was able to move around. And we began to praise God. And what it meant was that he could now do the work on the field to provide for his family. And we left like our, our faith and our hope had just risen so high. And I sort of left thinking, well, I was caught between hope and uncertainty. Like, there was nothing in me that was sure that God would heal this man, but I hoped that he would. Have you ever had a prayer like that? Like, I'm not certain that God will move in a certain way, but I'm very hopeful that he will. Well, we arrived back in the UK and I prayed for my friend Tim with toothache, small fry compared to what we'd seen. And so uh, he, he had like an abscess and we began praying for his tooth and instantly the pain went away, the abscess went away, dentist confirmed it, healed amazing. Our faith is kind of rising more and more now. And so I go the next week and my friend Sean has this uh, dislocated, not dislocated, he's got like an ankle thing where he can't walk in his ankle properly. He was with us in Romania. We began to pray and he said, there's no point, God won't heal it. He'd been praying with us and he'd saw people healed, right? So, so, so here's the tension he lives in, hope and uncertainty. Like, I've, I've seen God move for them, but not for me. And we began to pray for Sean. And we held prayer meetings for his healing because our faith was high and God didn't heal him. Still to this day, he walks around with that limp. He can't get rid of it. He's in pain constantly. 
yet he was a part of the group that prayed for other people that got healed. And I'm left thinking, wow, like we're caught between that all the time, aren't we? Why, why do some people receive something from God and other people don't? That's really frustrating. That's really irritating, quite frankly. And this hope and uncertainty is the place that you and I live continually. And so we find ourselves caught between the two. And somehow we've got to match our future hope of God, what God will do, what God is doing with. But here's where I'm at. And here's what I'm struggling with. And here's the tensions that you and I hold. And so we live for the future hope. But we've got to recognize our present reality. Right? We, we live for what God is going to do, and we live with that hope and anticipation, but we've also got to match it with our circumstance, with what we're currently in. Have you ever started a project you've never finished? Hands up, come on. Confession time. The Bible said it's good to confess in the book of James. Turn to your neighbor, confess the sin of not <laughs> finishing the project. I don't know for you, maybe it's the shelf you are supposed to put up, and you have bought the kit from Ikea. You're watching me a bit too hard. <laughs> it has sat around for a while. You began with good intention and you've not yet fixed it. For me, I bought a banker's desk, solid oak for 50 pounds off Facebook Marketplace. It's in a right state. It's going to be restored, right? That's my future hope. But the present reality is it's not going to happen for another 10 years, most likely. It's just going to sit uh, in our living room. But uh, for you, uh, maybe, maybe you've got a hobby that you started. It's still unpackaged. The clay-making kit that you bought, the candle-making kit that you bought, the garden tools that are yet to be unwrapped. And you started with that good intention. I've got this future hope of using these things to do good things. But the present reality is they're not yet fulfilled. Right? We, we all live in the middle of that disconnect from our future hope. We live in that disconnect of life getting in the way and things happening. You know, we have work and family and pets and TV series to binge and very other important time commitments. And so we live with future hope, but our present reality pulls us away from that hope from time to time. And life clambers in and our experiences pushes into seeing that hope further and further into the future. One day, one day we'll finish it, but it's not yet. Right, one day we'll complete that restoration project, but it is not yet. And you see the YouTube clips, you see the tickety tocks, you see the Instagram reels where like someone's doing a project and they speed it up. But for you and I, the reality is we start with good intentions, but we live in the now and the not yet. Now it's a silly example, but the now and the not yet is this phrase that we say, but it is the now and it's not the now and not yet, it's the already uh, and not yet. And we, we use this as a phrase because we live in that tension spiritually, right? We live in the present reality of, of life in a broken world where things are difficult, where we believe God for things and we see things happen, but we also know there is a future hope the other side of eternity. We know there's a future hope that is yet to come. And the Bible describes us as belonging to two worlds. We are citizens of heaven. If you've given your life to Jesus, if you've accepted him into your heart and life, and you're seeing that transformation of the spirit working in you, you are now adopted into the family of God. You now belong as a citizen of heaven. It's like you've got dual nationality. You know, you've got a worldly passport that's the here and now, and you've got one of a future hope. And we're caught between that tension 
all the time. It is already the kingdom of God is breaking through. It, it broke through to reach me. It broke through to reach you. When we see God moving, when we see his spirit coming in power, lives and hearts being changed, sometimes we see people healed. Sometimes we see people receive words of knowledge and direction. We see God draw things out of them. We see forgiveness in people's lives that normally you wouldn't see because that's not the way of the world. But God works in us. That is the kingdom of God breaking through. The kingdom of God is God's, rules, God's rule, reign, and authority. It's where his will is being done. And every now and then it pushes through. But sometimes we pray and we hear nothing. Sometimes we pray for those things and they do happen. Sometimes they don't. It is already and yet to come at the same time. And actually this was a phrase that was called by a theologian called George Ladd. He laid the foundation for what we call our kingdom theology. And he would say that the kingdom is already, but it is not yet. We are going to live in that tension. And, and what he says is this, that our faith is stirred when we see the kingdom of God breaking through, but it's refined as we learn to live in the not yet. Right? Our faith is stirred when we see God do incredible things, things that we know can only be of God. That boosts our faith. But it's solidified in the, although I'm not seeing it yet, I know God is still working. Right? It's, it's actually solidified in the tensions of the not yet. And so we're very good at living in the anticipation. We're very good at believing for God, for things in faith. We're very good at, at praying for the miracle. We're not so good when we don't hear an answer. We're not so good when we don't hear our prayer request answered. We're not so good when we go through pain and sorrow because we sometimes have this mismatched expectation that God should work at all times in all things in the way that I imagine he works. Sometimes we hear silence. Sometimes we hear nothing. Sometimes we have a theology that's sort of pushed upon us that if I'm a Christian, I'm not ever supposed to suffer. This is probably going to be an uncomfortable message this morning. Sometimes we have a theology that says, if I'm a Christian, I should never feel sad. But if I'm a Christian, I should never feel loss or grief or pain. And I think deep down we know that's not true, but the reality is the Bible never promises us that we won't experience those things. What the Bible promises is that we have a hope of a future. We have a hope beyond this life. In fact, the Bible tells us the opposite. In John 16, Jesus tells us that we will have trouble. Like he guarantees it. I once heard uh, in a youth meeting someone preach. Uh, they stood up and they said to, to all, of the, all of the young people at the meeting, come to Jesus and everything will be okay. To some extent, like maybe in the grand scheme of eternity it will, but like you guys are going to go through some stuff. You're at the start of your life. Life's going to hit you at times. And Jesus guarantees that we will not have it easy. He says we will have trouble, but what he says in John 16 is, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Right? So the hope that we have isn't that we're going to be pain and sorrow free. The hope that we have is that we can take heart because Jesus has overcome it. He's going to walk with us through it, not necessarily take us out of it. And it might not be the message that we're always keen to lean into because we want to put on our Sunday best. We want to put on our big smile. And you should. Like, it's great to bring a smile. It makes other people feel happy. But sometimes you're just going to be walking through life and it's going to be hard. You're going to be caught in that tension. You're going to be caught in loss and sorrow and joy and happiness. And you're going to be pulled from year to year between those. Some seasons are going to seem like they're longer than others. 
Some seasons are going to be shorter. The Bible encourages us in the Psalms that pain uh, will, will come for a night, but joy will come in the morning. That it won't last, that this sorrow won't last. And here's some words from George R. Osborne. He says this, it's not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. In other words, the things that God is doing in our lives, uh, that we continue the tension of now and not yet. That we are God's children, but we do not yet see him face to face. We are already heirs of what God has in store for you and I, but we have not yet received our full inheritance. We are already glorified, but have not yet been accorded our final glory. In the not yet part, time of this life, we struggle in the midst of suffering and sacrifice. Again, I didn't think this would be an easy one to preach this morning. It's challenged me in the times of sorrow and loss in my life and those times where I'm praying and it feels like my prayers are hitting the ceiling and bouncing back down. And I'm like, God, where are you right now? <sighs> this is hard. This is a struggle. Yet I know, God, you're faithful in all things. Yet I know you're above all things. Yet, God, I've seen you heal people, but I still have a dodgy knee. Like, God, I've seen you remove all sorts of problems from people, yet I've lost people. And I've prayed for them as much as I've prayed for them. What is that about? If you've got your Bibles, would you turn with me this morning to Romans 8? If you haven't got a Bible, don't worry, I'm going to read it out for you. It's also going to appear on the screen. And the background of Romans is this, because again, we read the Bible through rose-tinted glasses. We read it from our context. And if we really lift our heads above the parapet and look around in the grand scheme of the world, we're pretty good, right? We're pretty comfortable we're, at the moment. We're pretty comfortable. We're pretty okay. Like, but Romans wasn't like that. Romans was written in a time under Roman Empire, Roman occupation. And particularly if you weren't Roman, you were subject to suffering, you were subject to uh, rights being taken from you all the time. You were fully oppressed in the very truest sense of the word. And that's the context that Paul writes from Romans. He writes from a place of being under the thumb of the Roman Empire. He writes from a place of having lost friends and, and seen sorrow and seen pain, but also seen God break through in miraculous ways. He lives in that tension and he writes to us and he speaks to us across the centuries in Romans 8 verse 18. He says this. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subject to frustration. Have you ever been subject to frustration? We're in a good passage this morning. Not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjects it in hope. That the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. So let's get some perspective as we read this passage. It's Paul, right? It's the Apostle Paul and he's been through some stuff. This is the same Paul that encountered Jesus in the first person. Like this is how, if you know his story, this is how he was converted. He, he had a vision uh, where, where Christ had appeared to him, light shone around and he spoke with the risen Lord. It's quite dramatic. The same Paul loses his sight and he goes and he has his sight restored. He, another miracle takes place in his life, right? But this is also the same Paul that was beaten. This is the same Paul that was stoned with rocks. He was chained. He was imprisoned. He was shipwrecked. He was starved. He was often hungry and naked and cold. He has known what it is to have lots and he has known what it is to have little. 
This is a man who is credible when he says to us, I can talk to you about suffering. And yet he carries a faith. Yet he carries a hope. Yet he carries a sense of certainty of what God can do in his life. And I think there's some things to learn from him. You know, we get annoyed when we pray for a parking space and it doesn't happen. I'm driving around Morrison's. I'm in Sutton, right? Parking's not easy to come by. There's some tensions around parking prices that are going up and we're praying in the name of Jesus. You work all things for the good of those who love you. Provide for me a space. And one appears, and the truth is, chance and opportunity happen to us all. So we go into the space and we go, thank you, the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for providing me a parking space. I don't think that's what Paul's talking about. Just going to put it out there. I don't think that's what he's got in mind when he talks about wrestling with frustration, wrestling with suffering. I think he's talking really more about actual pain, actual sorrow. And suffering was as much a part of following Jesus as an experience of the miraculous power of God's kingdom breaking through for Paul. There were times when God's kingdom came shining through in his life. And other times where he was like, I was supposed to go to Rome. That's what God told me. But my ship got smashed up in a storm. God, what's that about? I almost died, but God, you've told me to go somewhere. Like, if, I don't know about you, but I would be there thinking, have I heard from God? Because we equate to the answers of our prayer, it means everything's going well, right? If, if things aren't going well and they're taking a turn for the worst uh, and things are going downhill, God can't be in it. That's what we often outwork in our lives. But actually... We've got to trust that God's plan is bigger than the short term. God's plan is bigger than what's happening in the next few weeks, next few months. But actually, God's plan is for your life. And there's a lot that can happen in your life. There's a lot that can change in a month, in a week, in a year, in five years. An awful lot can take place. And so we're not guaranteed to have our answers handed to us on a platter. We're not guaranteed to have things come to us in a neat package. And it's almost like we're driving towards a sunset. Have you ever seen a beautiful sunset? You ever seen it on the horizon and the sky is painted pink and all sorts of colors and you're driving towards it and you think, I'd love this moment to last. But the reality is you kind of never reach the sunset. It just sort of disappears. But when it comes to the kingdom of God, it's like we're eternally driving towards a sunset. It is there. It is breaking through. We can see it, but we're not yet able to reach it. Verse 22, Romans 8 says this, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth. I'm going to be using some analogies this morning. Right up to the present time, not only so, but we ourselves, we have the first fruits of the Spirit and we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons and daughters, the redemption of our bodies. Now when it comes to childbirth, I've witnessed some things. I have a child and I was there. I'm going to be very careful about what I say because there's no comparison of experiences. But there's this painful and beautiful thing that takes place. And I won't push the analogy too far. But when you're seeing your child born, as it's happening, you're caught between so many emotions. And some of you will relate to this. Some of you maybe have not experienced this before, but trust me on this. You're caught between laughing and crying in half seconds. Like you're caught between nervousness and fear and joy and excitement and pain and sorrow and delight all in one second. And probably a whole host of other emotions you can't describe that we wait in eager anticipation for the birth of our child. And we groan. 
in that pain. And we know at the end of it, something miraculous is going to take place. But in that in-between, we're thrown back and forth, back and forth, between joy and sorrow, between pain and relief. And that is a lot like the kingdom of God. That is a lot like what it is happening in our experience. When we trust God and we've been given the spirit of God and we see the Bible says first fruits. We see the spirit working in our lives. We see him doing the miraculous. We see him working something wonderful in our heart. Yet sometimes we're disappointed in our prayers. Sometimes it doesn't seem to break through in the, the way that we want. And that is the birthing of what God is doing in our lives. And it's that toing and throwing. We're caught in that very real tension. And G.R. Osborne says this, it's a positive agony of frustration. Have you ever thought about it like that? It's a positive agony of frustration. It's a metaphor that qualifies this idea of the kingdom of God is now, but I do have to walk through the not yet. I do have to experience the pain of waiting. We're caught between those things. It's hope that walks us through the pain. When we pray for God to bring relief, when we pray for God to do a wonderful work, and he does, our, hope, our faith is stirred, but our hope is made all the more certain as we go through that pain going, I don't know the answers to why God is not responding in the way I think he should, but I'm hopeful of what he said. Right? I'm sure because I know God's character, because of my experience in who he is, I know he can carry me through this. I know he can walk me through the pain. And when we see the work of the Spirit in our life, we can be certain of that hope. In fact, Hebrews says that faith is the assurance of our hope, of things hoped for. So actually, when we're hopeful for what God is doing and we see the Spirit of God working, we move to a place of certainty, we move to a place of faith. That actually it stirs our faith. Ephesians 1 says the work of the Spirit is a guarantee of our inheritance. In other words, when we see the Spirit of God working in our lives, we know because of what the Spirit is doing, that what God has promised us is true. We know that what God has said will be provided for us at some point, in some way, because the Spirit of God confirms it in the way we see him work in our lives. He's a guarantee of that eternal inheritance. Verse 26 says this, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. Have you ever had that Especially when someone comes to you and they're going through something life-threatening and you go, I have no idea what to pray. I have that a lot, by the way. I know I'm given the function that we have in church. Sometimes it, people think we have all the answers. Sometimes I'm just, I have no idea. If I'm really honest, I just, I, but I'm going to pray. And this is what Paul says. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. My son intercedes for his, his food and his beaker all the time with groans. Like he's one years old and he doesn't have all the words and he groans and he points and he'll go, boo, boo. And I'll go, is it this? And he'll go, boo, boo. Is it this? And he'll go, boo, boo. Because he doesn't know the word for it yet, but he's, he's interceding for what he wants with groans, deep groans. And he'll keep groaning till he gets it. And finally, is it the beaker? Do you want the beaker? Yes. And I bring the beaker to him and all of a sudden his groaning goes away. And sometimes we don't know what to pray for. We don't know what to ask for. God, I don't know how we're going to help this person. I don't know how this person who's facing this dire situation is going to see a breakthrough from you. So I'm just going to pray in the spirit. Sometimes I don't know what to pray. I'll just speak the name of Jesus. 
If words fail you, that's a great prayer. Jesus, would you just help this person? Come, Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. Lord, I don't have the answers, but you do. And I pray, Father, you'll give them the desires of your heart. Those are my prayers, generally. Because I don't always have the words. Sometimes the Lord will drop a word of knowledge into my heart, and I can deliver something, and it's right. But other times, he just seems quiet. And all I can do is stand on someone's behalf and ask the Lord to do what only he can do. And finally, verse 28 says this, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Arguably one of the most misquoted lines in scripture in the history of humanity, right? And Because we, we say that in those moments, you're going through a problem at work. Well, I know that God works all, good, all things for the good of those who love him. And sometimes we don't realize it's attached to Romans 8 as a whole. It's attached to pain, sorrow, and suffering. It's attached to loss and lament and grief. And in that moment, Paul is writing, I know what God can do, but right now it hurts. And then he prays that prayer. Then he says that line in Romans 28, but I know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And so what we're doing is we're living in tension. All the time, you and I as people of faith, and if you're on the edge and you're saying, I don't know whether I'm ready to follow Jesus, let me tell you that it is the free gift that will cost you everything. It is the lightest burden that will sometimes feel heavy. And it's something we explore as the kingdom of God breaks through and transforms us, but at other times we're going to be caught in unknowns, frustrations and tensions. And we've got to learn to live with those things. We've got to learn to balance our sorrow and pain with the breakthroughs of heaven. And as we do that, we'll find ourselves being fruitful. That you and I are called to be fruitful in every season of our lives. That as we've got the Spirit of God living inside of us, and if you're yet to experience it, our prayer is that you will experience it, that he brings fruit, he brings love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and... Yes! Someone paid attention as they were in those Sunday school songs, you remember those? Self-control. And these are the fruits. And the interesting thing about fruit is a tree doesn't eat its own fruit. It's pretty odd, right? The fruit's for other people. The work that God is doing in your life is not for you, it's for others. And so the challenge is this, is how do we be fruitful in all seasons? And I'd just like to invite the worship team back up. This is the leading thought. This is one of the thoughts of the faithful. This is what I'd love our church to be known for, that in every season we'll be fruitful. That doesn't mean in every season we will have it easy. Doesn't mean in every season things will be light. Doesn't mean in every season we won't face sorrow and pain. But that we will be the church that believes God for our future hope. That we'll see him break through in so many different ways, but also we'll recognise that we won't have all the answers. That we won't have our tensions always resolved. But in those times, I'm going to be hopeful in what God is doing. I'm going to trust him in all things because I know he's good, I know he's faithful, and I'm going to walk in that faithfulness always. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you, God, that your kingdom is breaking through. And we pray that continually in our lives, Lord, your will be done, your kingdom come. But we know that it is already and it is not yet. And we're very familiar with the already because that's often what has transformed our hearts. We've experienced you through your Holy Spirit. But we know, Lord, sometimes we're disappointed. 
Not because you are disappointing, but because we're not clear on what is happening. We don't have your perspective always. And Lord, would you help us be the people of hope in those moments? Would you help us to be refined in the pain and sorrow, trusting that you work all things for our good? And Lord, may we have a testimony that glorifies you in every season of our life. May we be known for the church that no matter what we're under, we glorify you. You're on display in our lives. And when people walk with us and look at us through the low moments, they'll also see the faithfulness that they see in the high moments. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen.